in. Do we do the regular introduction? Probably not. Or yeah. probably just... Or this is the introduction, maybe. Yeah. Hey, what's up? I'm TJ from Adlib Heroes. Hello, I'm Riley from also Adlib Heroes. I'm Joey from Adlib Heroes. Uh, Bev is not able to join us for this quick recording, but we wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that we are planning to move away from Dungeons & Dragons being the system we use to run our game. Uh, there's been several actions taken by Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that owns Dungeons & Dragons as an intellectual property over the last year or so, that make it so that we no longer want to be providing them with free promotion. It, yeah, in that they're, it is clear that their values no longer really align with the story we want to tell or our personal values. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, I if you've bought Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you should keep playing it and enjoying it and having fun. The point we want to make is we don't believe that this company should get any more money from us or any support that might lead to someone choosing to buy their products. Uh, we'd like to kind of go over the reasons for that because uh, we'll be distancing ourselves from the system, but we will be continuing the story. So the first way you're going to see that is we're going to be doing some lore changes to move away from things that are part of the Dungeons & Dragons intellectual property. For example, we'll no longer be referring to the realm that fairies come from as the Feywild. We'll instead be referring to it as the Dreamlands, a realm where dream logic takes precedence. Right. So fairy tale logic and weird things happening and just different yeah. names. Like time doesn't work the same and... Are, we haven't really dealt much with the realm, like the waiting realm of the dead, but we're going to start calling that the Darklands. Cool. Uh, we aren't going to use the Dungeons and Dragons division of the Abyss and Hell as being separate places. Demons and devils now live in the same place. And to my mind, within the lore, what that's going to mean is the devils run the hierarchy and the demons are the wild urges that run around. So... Demons will remain chaotic, devils will remain the, like, masters of the order, and so they're, like, the skeleton of, of hell. Okay. Uh, I want to, so, while Wizards of the Coast doesn't necessarily own Tiamat, to increase the distance, because when you're talking about a tabletop role-playing game, mm -hmm. Tiamat tends to mean Dungeons and Dragons five-headed, the specific goddess. dragon god. Yeah, I want to change the god of evil dragons to Leviathan. Uh, there are descriptions of Leviathan as being like a knot of serpents and dragons all tied together. Like, you know, the idea of a rat king where a bunch of rats <laughs> are tied together? Yeah. I want our version of the evil dragon god to be all kinds of dragons knotted together in a single chaotic way. A dragon king, if you want. A dragon king. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we will no longer be using Wolf because Wolf is, I believe, their intellectual property. The evil goddess that Dark Elves worship is now going to be Lilith, who is the mother of monsters from Sumerian and Biblical theology. Mm -hmm. And the, sorry, the replacement for Tiamat, what was the name again? Leviathan. Leviathan. Uh, we need to have a new uh, uh, draconic for praise Leviathan, which is perfect because I can never remember the first one anyways. <laughs> yeah. 
there'll be yeah I, there'll be plenty of like minor changes or just little things as we go I'm sure like now Narthus just hates spiders cuz or trousers <laughs> always like spiders in ancient history yeah but I hate snakes Jacques I hate them <laughs> but yeah and so we will probably be moving towards Pathfinder 2nd edition as our system of choice we're still doing some research making sure that the characters fit over there are some abilities that uh, the characters have been relying on so much that we need to make sure that whatever new system we choose gives us a way so that as some version some yeah like Olivia needs some version of the disguise self spell yeah mm-hmm. and yeah like I mean Grimlock is the easiest to change his fighting just changes up a little bit as the rules change and you were a Pathfinder first edition player so you always try to use Pathfinder rules anyways yeah, yeah, this, is, yeah this is great <laughs> yeah and yeah, like I, uh, the the important parts of the druid, like the shape changing druids in Pathfinder, are more powerful than mm-hmm. because uh, so second edition Pathfinder druids can eventually start turning into things like dragons. That's wild. They are. That's a that's obscene. They are <laughs> not limited to only beasts. That so I can finally turn into an owl bear like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember the name of that movie. That's yeah, weird. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Actually, no, you pirate that owl bears are owned by Dungeons and Dragons. I did not just say pirate that movie, but you know, if you want to watch it. He was talking to me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I was, yeah, it was a made up word. I I like the idea of going with Pathfinder. I think that they handled all of the open games licensing thing that coming down from Hasbro Wizards of the Coast very, very well. And I think that their solution of we're fine, we'll make our own open games license with Blackjack, like here you go, is well, and a big part of what I like about that company's response. So let's take a step back, talk about the open game license is the way that people who are not Wizards of the Coast have been allowed to publish Dungeons and Dragons compatible content. There is a version of the rules that is available for free. And there was a license on how you could use it uh, that you need to state that which is the coast on certain things. You need to print the systems reference document, points that you were using, uh, and you weren't allowed to use anything that was Wizards of the Coast intellectual property. They were looking at changing the license and trying to make those changes retroactive. Uh, part of what they were looking at doing was they were going to say that if someone started making too much money off of their third-party Dungeons & Dragons um, the products, that Wizards of the Coast suddenly would get a cut of their royalty. So they were expecting everyone to report their earnings, and they were going to get a cut. They were saying that any intellectual property anyone developed within the open gaming license, Wizards of the Coast had the right to use that for themselves without paying anything to creator of that intellectual property, which meant that if I had published, you know, a D&D module under the open gaming license based on my novels, then all of a sudden, Wizards of the Coast could use every character from my novels as they mm-hmm. own them without consulting me. All of your world and cities and pantheon and... Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, again, that was more about people who were publishing and, like, trying to make a living off of it. But they were trying to retroactively change the rules and claim a bigger piece of other people's work. Mm-hmm. 
we found out about this through documents that leaked out from some of the companies that they were working with. And the community, to their credit, said, we won't stand for this. And the most amazing thing they did is when Wizards of the Coast refused to respond to the fact that the community did not accept these changes, the community started canceling their subscriptions to D&D Beyond, which is the one recurring source of revenue that Wizards of the Coast has. So people said, you can't have our subscription fees anymore. And all of a sudden, Wizards of the Coast, when the money started to go away... I think the extremity of how quickly people canceled their accounts is also a big deal. Like, the yeah. website crashed. The D&D Beyond website crashed because of how many people were logging on in one day to cancel their <laughs> accounts. I mean, the, the way I've always said it is, this is a hobby where you and five of your friends get together around a table and make a bunch of people who are insulted if anyone ever tries to tell them what the rules are. <laughs> and the company that sold us the book so that we could play the game that we never had to listen to the rules said, hey, we're changing the rules and it's not in your favor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever run a game, but you, <laughs> if, any, if the mayor says that to the players, they burn the town to the ground. So all the players across the world burnt the wizards of the coast to the ground. You throw <laughs> a game and have been Profiting off of a game whose primary goal, whose primary most cliched classic dungeon is go kill a dragon, take the gold it's been hoarding. Based off of a book that is about going to kill a dragon and take the gold that it's hoarding. And you expected us all to be like, yeah, be a dragon, hoard the gold. And to their credit, Paizio, which is the company that makes Pathfinder, uh, they had been publishing under the open gaming license with an eye towards the fact that they didn't want to be bound by it because they were people who used to work for Wizards of the Coast before 4th edition D&D came out. They didn't like the changes, so they made their own company. And a bunch of people left D&D for uh, Pathfinder when 4th edition came out. Mm-hmm. And then 5th edition has a problem. And the people at Pathfinder said, yeah, no, we're ready for this problem. And what we're going to do is we're going to make our rules free because our rules are no longer as closely tied to D&D as they once were. And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to make our rules free and make them managed by they're looking at setting up a nonprofit. So if someone bought the company that owns Pathfinder, they still wouldn't get the license to Pathfinder's rules. <laughs> they're, a different nonprofit is going to own it. They're basing this off of, I think it's how, uh, I forget which programming Oh, I can't. Yeah. I don't know. I just... But yeah, they saw how this worked for computers to make sure a company couldn't own this one programming language, and they said, we can do this with our rules. Mm -hmm. And they they have invited all kinds of smaller companies to join them, and these smaller companies are allowed to also give their rules to this nonprofit to keep it free for open creation. The idea being, uh, wait, again, I'm getting really inside baseball here. You can't copyright the rules to the game. Again, you can only copyright the expression of the rules. So you can't copyright how to play crib, but you can copyright a book that explains the rules of how right. crib works. And D&D is the same. You can copyright your expression of the rules, the way you wrote out the rules, but you can't actually copyright the rules. The only mm-hmm. thing you can copyright is the narrative side of things. Mm-hmm. And so... This is one of the things that came out, and because of Pathfinder's response to open gaming license, that's kind of where we're leaning. 
It helps that most of us have some experience with Pathfinder, and it's a very similar game. Like it, basically, it is the stepsister. Yeah, it's they took three point five and just flat out made it better. Like, Initially, yeah, they took three point five. They made it's still really crunchy. The first edition of Pathfinder is still really crunchy and really rules heavy, hmm. but it's not so much that that level of in depth and. It is a lot more revised, a lot easier to understand. It's still, it is a rules-heavy, crunchy game. Yeah. And second edition is the same. You'll see an increase in the complication of rules, mm-hmm. but it, I do not think it's un, it's inaccessible. I think you will be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to go back to part why we're looking at leaving Wizards of the Coast, open gaming license is the only thing that happened in the last year. So back in about August, there was uh, an issue with a set of books they released called Starjammer, which was about basically taking airships into space. And they decided to release uh, a race called the Hadozi as part of uh, as part of Spelljammer's set. And what they what this the lore they put out for this race was they were a group of monkey people that had been previously enslaved by powerful wizards, but they were such good-hearted, kind people that it just made them stronger, they don't feel pain as much as other people, and they had forgiven and no longer had a quarrel with the wizards who enslaved them. And Wizards of the Coast put this out in 2022? Yeah, 2022, after they had been hit with problems for the way they portrayed the, the Santi, the Gypsy uh, Romani analog in Curse of Straw. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I'll point out is a company from the Midwestern US may have trouble understanding to a certain extent racism with a group that exists more in Europe. However, when your racism deals with tropes that are traditionally associated and harmful to a black community, especially one affected by the uh, black dis- African dysphoria based on the transatlantic slave trade, an American company should have a better idea of the level of sensitivity. And D&D had been working to remove a lot of the racially insensitive things in their in their history, the way that Drow were innately evil and matriarchal and how that was problematic, the way that there was a bunch of racial coding on orcs to make them savage mm-hmm. that was traditionally applied to elk groups, especially uh, based on Africa. Mm-hmm. And so then they release this completely brand new material, not based on something historical, and the community had to tell them that it was racially insensitive. Now, part of the reason we didn't leave Dungeons and Dragons over this is when the community called them out for it, they corrected the text and recommitted, including hiring diversity uh, experts and inclusivity experts, new editors to review all their content. Now. The most profitable arm of the world's biggest toy and gaming company probably should have had that in place. They had it to begin with. They all it it is very feels very much like a too late, like why wasn't this already here? But when the community responded both to the OGL and to the the racial sensitivity issues with these releases, Wizards of the Coast responded. They they listened to like, they listened to money. They, they, but they enacted the change we wanted to see. 
Yes. They, they were moving in a positive direction. Yes. Now, there has been a concern based on some things that have come out from Wizards of the Coast. They were talking specifically about Magic the Gathering, but they said that the Wizards of the Coast brands were under monetized. So they felt that they were not getting enough money from Magic the Gathering players. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. And they also felt that it was problematic that for Dungeons & Dragons, at most tables, one out of five player is the only one who buys multiple books. They didn't like the fact that only dungeon masters tend to buy more product. Mm-hmm. So they have been looking for ways to monetize that. Their upper management is now all people who come from the video game industry, people who brought us things like microtransactions mm-hmm. and loot boxes and other problematic monetization that they're trying to work in the Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Now we've felt comfortable up to this point still playing with this game. We had already purchased these books. We don't plan on buying extra parts. We we own these books. Yeah. So we were, if they felt like moving that way, we would have to evaluate it when they got there. Yeah. But their most recent controversy is one that we cannot give them another chance for. So this is, again, a Magic the Gathering thing, but it is the same company. It is the Wizards of the Coast arm of Hasbro. And... There was an individual who received a, a set of magic cards that had a similar name to a release set. So I think it was like Rise of the Machines. And while it was unreleased, he got a box of Rise of the Machines Aftermath, might be the name. I'm not certain. I'm not a Magic Gathering player. But it was, there's like a colon to call it a sequel. Mm-hmm. And a Wizards of the Coast distributor sold this guy these cards because Wizards of the Coast supply chain did not carefully lock down their unreleased product. Mm -hmm. This creator made a YouTube video showing off the cards that he had got ahead of release. And Wizards of the Coast's response was to send their private security contractor to the man's house. They showed up armed with guns, armed with guns, terrorized the man's family. And this private security firm is the Pinkerton. Like, if you weren't convinced that they are the bad guys, they hired a private security firm that has been strike-breaking since post-Civil War America that is responsible for demolishing the working class. When miners and railroad workers in the late 1800s started to form unions, it was this same company, the Pinkertons, that were hired as private armies to kill people, to intimidate them, to stop forming workers' unions, to stop workers from working together to improve conditions. Now, I assume most people who have listened to our podcast have caught enough subtext to know <laughs> where we stand on should should cap the interests of capitalists be protected at all costs. I don't know. We're pretty subtle. We're pretty <laughs> subtle. Uh, so yeah, that um, I will, I more more or less want to reiterate. There were many points in this last year where uh, we could have, and anyone who did drop Wizards of the Coast and their products, absolutely in the right, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and on it, like, and personally, there are probably points before right now that we should have walked away, but we. We kept accepting 
them asking for forgiveness and saying, we'll do what the customers want. And I don't think that's possible anymore. No. It, I mean, again, the Pinkertons have such a bad reputation. There is a U.S. bill passed that the U.S. federal government can't hire this company. They are so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, look, look up the history of the Pinkertons if you do not recognize the name. It yeah. is wild. They, they are murderers. They are... Hands down. Yeah. They, I mean, if you play Red Dead Redemption games, they're often the bad guys. They're, they are so awful. They're so awful uh, reputation. I believe Al Swearingen in HBO's Deadwood hates them, and he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> he is worried about them. Yeah. So we are not willing to continue to support a company that would work with this firm. We, we're we just not comfortable. And again, I haven't looked into who the Pinkertons are today because They're they not- don't deserve it. They've done so much terrible stuff that's well-documented in history that I don't care. Like It's just more of the same. Yeah. Even if you even if you have reformed, like why would you keep that name? And they didn't. No, they, they haven't. <laughs> They're not even owned by an American like security firm anymore because they have lost the trust of so many American people. Yeah. Yeah. So we will be going through the process to change. You'll hear the lore changes right away. Uh, and we are working on the rule changes. Part of why we didn't change before is it is a lot of work to change the rules mid-campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if this was a home game, I mean... It would have been done weeks yeah. or months ago. Well, we, we, we don't have to give them any more money, but right. part of it is the fact that we're running this game publicly acts as advertising. If you enjoy listening to this, you might decide to go buy their books. Yeah, Don't buy their books. Do not give Wizards of the Coast your money. We stand against them getting any more money from anyone. It is the official stance of this podcast that they they have gone too far. They they gave me years of enjoyment for, but I paid for that. I gave yeah. them money for that, and I'm, I'm personally done giving them I'm personally done aligning myself and my reputation with them and I've done advertising like you said even I'm sure most of the people that listen to this podcast like D&D already or have played D&D or have bought a D&D book but for those of you who haven't there's other options yeah and for people who are worried about changing or trying new systems honestly your first role playing game is the hardest to learn yeah. Anytime you try to learn a new system, you're going to see so many similarities. It, it gets easier. And when you hear Pathfinder, Pathfinder is a little more complicated than Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. There are options out there that are simpler and easier to play, uh, that are again from other companies that you can feel a lot better giving your money to because almost everyone in the tabletop RPG space is there out of out of love of these type of games, out of out of creation, mm-hmm. like Wizards of the Coast is the only company that seems to exist solely for a profit motive in this space. Yeah, and Paizo has like they've done nothing but good. Like they they took three point five, turned it into Pathfinder. It's fantastic. Um, I know that Pathfinder two is super well received, and they've been like back back when it was. A, when it wasn't expected of anyone, like in their in their like first edition text, it's all like gender neutral terms for like their for their players, mm-hmm. and it's all very like very progressive. And when 
no one was really expecting that of any like RPG makers at all. Was... But yeah, like you've heard us play a few episodes of Blades in the Dark. That's an incredible system if you're looking for stuff to try. I love anything that is from the powered by the apocalypse system games like uh, Monster of the Week, which runs games like the TV show Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and there's all kinds of the po- run by World of the Apocalypse games. There's one called Masks, which is like playing uh, Young Justice or Titans, where you are a second generation of superheroes living in the shadow of the of earlier generations of superheroes and trying to find your own way in the world. Uh, that sounds dope. Oh yeah, it is a great, great game. Uh, I've been running uh, Savage Worlds for one of my home games, which is based on Deadlands, which is a weird West game where it's like cowboys, but there's demons and magics in it. Magic cool. in it. <laughs> but we've been playing their version of Rift's uh, role-playing game, which is post-apocalyptic. Think a little bit like Fallout video games, but there's also magic in the world. Cool. cool. Like there are, there are so many neat systems to try. And if you're interested in D&D like systems and you hear us playing Pathfinder, it sounds too complicated. There's games like Five Torches Deep, which is a retro poem that tries to uh, tries to capture the feel of older D&D. There's Dungeon World, which is the Powered by the Apocalypse version of, uh, of fantasy role-playing games. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to reach out on social media if you're looking for any recommendation. Tell us what you're looking for in a game, and I can probably find you something I've run. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Joey's knowledge of alternative systems is pretty encyclopedic at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, playing games, changing up what game what mechanics you are using, what game you are running for, what feel you want is... Honestly, it, it's more... in The mechanics and the rules of are in tune with the feel of the game you want, it works so much better as opposed to just using a generic system and trying to bend it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. when you play some a World of the Darkness game, which tends to be urban fantasy, it is built from the ground up to support your playing in a modern world and you're a monster. Yeah. And it just it feels so good. Mm-hmm. And, like, it is out of print now, but the licensed Buffy the Vampire Slayer role-playing <laughs> game, they're laughing because it feels all I ever want to do is run that game because it feels like watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, yeah, like, I laugh because Joey and Bev literally talk about two things, and it's one of them is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but uh, they are, like, he is correct. That game rules, and it does feel like just watching an episode of Buffy. Honestly, like... I've heard so many stories about the about that system that like I probably know that system better than fifth edition, <laughs> but I've never played it. So if you'd like to play Buffy the Vampire Slayer the role playing game, contact me at <laughs> Livera's on Facebook. <laughs> Just reach out. <laughs> we'll have a guest player or something. Yeah. Uh, well Yeah. I yeah. so yeah. That is the reason we're looking at changing. That's why you'll see changes in the podcast. Uh, but we want to finish telling this story, and it looks like Pathfinder is our best route forward. Yeah. And I think Treebeard put it pretty well. That a, widow sh- a wizard should know better. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Love it. Um, yeah, that's that's all I have. Um, thank you for listening to this this. Um, okay. uh, 
this inside baseball rant. Yeah, this inside baseball. We're playing Moneyball. The RPG. I again, if you have any questions about other systems or anything, reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from people. I can figure out how you can play Moneyball as an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think that's just playing fantasy. <laughs> There's probably a baseball episode of Buffy. Probably. <laughs> nope. There's a swim team? Yeah, there's a swim team episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Basically the beach episode. Okay, okay. Well, it's the boys in the swimsuits in the swim team episode. Tasteful. It's great. <laughs> uh, cool. Great. 